I hope and pray that uh, in this time that we are dealing with so much going on in the world today that uh, that certainly our prayers will be that uh, that the Lord will bring some sense of normalcy back to our our daily lives and routine. Um, we're very very thankful to know that He's with us always. The promises of God and the promises of our Lord Jesus Christ are are so clear. God Himself would tell Moses, "I'm I'm going to be with you." And he tells Joshua, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And Jesus tells us he'll be with us to the end of the world. That could be any time now, so <laughs> we're really thankful that the Lord is with us. So we're, we're, we're looking forward to spending some time in God's Word tonight. Normally, we would be continuing on in our study of the book of Micah. But tonight, I want to share some very personal Thoughts that I've been dealing with uh, over the last couple of weeks. In particular, a thought that came to mind uh, today, uh, and that is where we are spiritually and where we are biblically and where we are eternally. And uh, uh, a phrase came to my mind. It was being at eternity's threshold, at eternity's edge, as it were. And uh, so one of these days we're going to come back to Micah. We'll probably kind of start it over. Not really. We had a couple of weeks already in, but, uh, but just to come back to the full understanding of that book in God's time. But tonight I want to have you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and also verses 16 and 17 as a foundation to where we are going to be uh, in your word tonight. Did you want some light out there? You are? Okay. <laughs> uh, Pastor Sean's uh, my uh, uh, faithful congregation. Ah, there we go. Got a little bit of light. All right. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Paul said, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. We are living in perilous times today. They're dangerous times, and uh, they're dangerous in a lot of different ways. But Paul deals with a few of the issues going on probably not only in our time, but in his as well. Because they believed at that time, and Paul believed at that time that they were in the last days. He said, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, Despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. 
For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul would go on to say at the end of this particular chapter that what we have in great abundance is God's word and that all of scripture is God breathed. He says all scripture, verse 16, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Father, bless your word as it goes forth this evening. I pray for the hearts of those listening that they will see your word, that they will hear your word, that they, Lord, will take in, Father, the very things that you want us to, to know about the times in which we're living, but more importantly, about the time that is to come. And there is a day coming, Lord, that we're looking for, that we should be looking for not only with anticipation, but, Lord, with joy and with comfort. And because of that, Lord God, may we, may we have focus tonight on, on these prophetic issues that we want to deal with and ask your blessing, Lord, upon our hearts, our lives, our families. We pray for all those who are going through physical, medical, spiritual battles, whatever battles they're going through, Lord, tonight. I pray, Father, that you'll bring peace and comfort to them by the power of your Holy Spirit and in the wisdom of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so with all the events that have taken place over the last month or so, especially as they pertain to the coronavirus pandemic, there is no mistaking that we are definitely living in the last of the last days. I do not mention this to exacerbate or to intensify whatever fears people have have already developed and are seething in. In fact, I share this message with you, my family and the faith, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to encourage and to comfort you that we are living at the cusp of Christ's return for his bride, the church. We are living in the time of the imminence of the rapture of the church, the imminence being the nearness of his return, that there is nothing else that has to happen for Jesus to come and to take us home. We're often familiar with John 14 because I read it all the time. But in John 14, verses 1 to 3, Jesus said to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you may be also. How significant and how important it is that Jesus began that passage by saying, let not your heart be troubled. There are a lot of troubled hearts today. There are a lot of troubled hearts in the world. There are a lot of troubled hearts in the church. And I think it's time for us as the church to understand the awakening that God is trying to bring upon us in the times that we're, that we're seeing and that we're experiencing and going through. The very fact that we're doing what we're doing tonight 
is, is just a, a part of, of, of this scare that has, that has been not just worldwide, but, you know, has kind of filtered down into, into, the, uh, into the smallest uh, category, in a sense. I mean, when you think worldwide, now, you were, now we're looking local. And uh, so we're, we're here tonight uh, broadcasting this, whatever platform you're using, we're thankful for it. I hope and pray that it continues to be solid for you and, and that uh, everything that is said and done tonight will be, will be received. But Paul then also speaks of this very same coming. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verses 51 through 58, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. But the classic passage concerning Jesus coming back for his church is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 through 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, which means that we shall not precede them or come before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, in reading all that and saying all of that, let me add that we are actually living near the end of what we call the church age. And in fact, I, I wanted to say that we're really living near the end of the church. As it is as it is today. And some might question that, and they might say, well, how can the church, the body of Christ, be finite? Or have a limited lifespan, if you will. Well, let's remember a couple of things. First of all, I, I mentioned the age of the church, or the church age. That is a specific time frame for the body of Christ to fulfill its ministry. It's dispensation, as Paul will later call it, and we'll talk about that later. But it's to fulfill a ministry or a dispensation 
And the dispensation being the, pro- the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. Now that implies an end then to that particular purpose. Secondly, consider that the church had a beginning. It had a beginning. It began on a particular day. It began on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, in an upper room. We see that in Acts chapter 2. And it will end on a particular day, which none of us knows what day that will be, but it is a particular day that God the Father knows, and it is called the rapture of the church. Now when we go back through those three passages that we read earlier, we look at just little sections of what I read earlier. I'll just read it again. Most of you know it and see it before you. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. First Thessalonians 4.16 With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Verse 17 Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Harpazo, caught up. Snatched away together with them in the clouds with the dead in Christ that are not dead anymore. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We go back to the first Corinthian passage. Verse 50, uh, chapter 15 verse 52. In a moment he says. Paul says in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump. For the trump shall sound. The dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. And then of course going back. To what Jesus said. In verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We should all be aware and understand that only the Lord knows the exact number of days that are left to this great event. Even to the very hour, the Lord knows. Now, historically, many have believed, including some of the church fathers, that the church would stay on the earth to usher the kingdom of Messiah, and would, as, as the church, oversee and manage certain responsibilities in the kingdom under Jesus. Now, to those who believe this, the date of the rapture of the church is insignificant because they don't believe in the rapture anyway. And therefore, to them, the church will be ruling and reigning with Christ forever. But sadly, in their own thoughts and minds, and I say for the most part, Not exactly everyone, but most of them, if they don't believe in the rapture of the church to be before the seven years of tribulation, then they won't believe that there's any necessary use for the nation of Israel today. That Israel, as the modern Israel, plays no part whatsoever in any uh, fulfillment of, of prophecy, which of course is completely wrong. And we've gone over this time and time again, how God raised up a nation again in 1948. And they are not just a state of Israel, they, they are the nation of Israel, they are God's people, as he promised them that he would raise them up. There is an Israel there today, there is talk that there is going to be a new temple. And everything is moving within the understanding of, of end time prophecy. But those who do not believe in that, people that uh, participate in things called the new apostolic reformation, 
those that were called Reconstructionists back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, or the kingdom-only adherents, or those who are the, more along the lines of re, the Reformed doctrines, the preterists, preterists who believe that all Scripture has been fulfilled, and there's nothing else left to fulfill. There are those who hold to amillennial and postmillennial uh, uh, end-time eschatology, which, uh, again, you know, I don't want to go into you know all of the, the details about that. That's just saying that uh, you know the Lord is going to come after a thousand years, or there is no thousand years, a millennial or amillennial is no thousand year, or there's a postmillennial uh, coming of Christ, which does not make sense. Again, in anything that we have studied in Scripture and seen very clearly to have its references and, and uh, cross-references here and there throughout all of the Old Testament as well as the New. So there, there's no thought of, of rapture for them. And obviously there's a tremendous biblical confusion today, especially concerning prophetic themes and events. On one end, you, you have those who don't have much use for prophecy. And they'll let you know, and they'll tell you. On the other hand, there are those who have set way too many dates as to Christ's return or Christ's second coming. Oh yeah, he, oh, he was supposed to come on May, 20, May 21st, I can't remember the year, but a couple of years ago maybe, he was going to come, Jesus was going to come on May the 21st. And of course, he didn't come. And it's going to be significant when Jesus comes. Whether he comes first in the rapture for his, for his people because he's going to take us out of here, that's going to cause some kind of uh, devastation among the world or in the world. And certainly when he comes in his second coming, I mean, that's going to be seen by everyone, the Bible tells us. Especially when he places his feet on the Mount of Olives, everybody shall see him. And the Jewish people will see the one whom they pierce and they'll weep. So the coming of Jesus is not going to be something that's hidden or something that's secret. Consider, of course, that those who wouldn't hold to prophecy or don't care much about prophecy are really letting everyone know about that and their, their thinking and, you know, uh, on, on the Internet and uh, YouTube and, uh, and uh, Facebook and every, everything else that they use. Just fulfilling Scripture, though, Second Peter chapter 3. They're fulfilling the Scripture of being scoffers in the last days. Peter said, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 7. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. You know, I thought about that phrase, walking after their own lusts. Scoffing at last days preaching or last days studies or last days anything that pertains to the study of prophecy. Walking after their own lusts. Obviously, there are some things in this world that they're attached to. They lust after, which of course means that they desire to have. We've said often that, uh, you know, there's really nothing in this, in this world that we desire. Everything that we desire is in heaven. Every treasure that God has gathered for us is in heaven. Every treasure. So walking after their own lust kind of reveals something about those who have no use for prophecy. 
And then they say in verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And Peter is saying, listen, we have to take seriously what the scripture is saying about judgment in the end times. We can't just put it off as if to say, well, things are, are just the same as they've ever been since the beginning of creation. Well, since the beginning of creation, man has really blown it. You know, we sinned, and then we were connected to sin, and everybody born after the fall in the garden has sinned. But there were tremendous sins early on, to the point that even by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, God is ready to destroy the whole world. And this is what Paul, Peter refers to in verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But then he says it's going to be different at the end. There's going to be fire, the day of judgment. And what has God called us to? What did God call the prophets to do? What has God called the apostles and the, and, the, and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers and all those who are, who are given the, uh, the calling by the Lord in, this, in, in these days and times? That we need to warn people of what is yet to come. That is so important. It is yet to come. This, this very virus that we're dealing, this pandemic that's going on today, to some extent is some type of judgment or at least a preparation for an even greater judgment. And if we're not ready for the coming of Jesus Christ, because again, he can come at any moment. That's what, it, that's what uh, the imminence of his return is all about. He can come at any moment. Normally, I would say, well, I hope he comes now, and we would all go, go at the same time. That would just be me and Sean, see? And, uh, of course, uh, <laughs> those that are up in the booth. <laughs> and those outside. So, it's going to happen. And are we going to be ready? Jesus, in Matthew 24, verse 32, says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. And I, I, I want to begin here because I, I want everyone to understand that the fig tree is a symbol, and always has been, of Israel. One of the symbols of Israel. There are a number of symbols that God uses to portray his people. This is one of them, the parable of the fig tree. And so Israel has a major importance in, in end-time prophecy. He says, when his branch is yet tender and putting forth leaves, ye know the summer is nigh. He's referring to signs. If we see certain things, we, we know certain things are going to happen. So likewise ye, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. This is the reason why in 1948, as soon as Israel became a nation again, of course they were fighting for their existence from that day forward and still to this day. But on that particular day, so many people that were, that were biblically uh, 
strong and, 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 and understood the word of God, all of a sudden they perked up and they said, you know what? This is a sign that Israel is, is, is that key to Bible prophecy. So this is one of those signs that people need to be made aware of. That others are saying, oh, no, no, Israel has nothing to do. In fact, what's sad to me is that a majority of people that are in the visible church today do not side with Israel in any way, but would would even gladly side more with their enemies. And, And that's a mistake. That's a mistake biblically. If we trust what God said to Abraham, when he said, I will bless those who bless thee, I will curse those who curse thee. So Jesus goes on and he says, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. That generation that sees those signs. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I think people that struggle with Bible prophecy today need to take heed to that statement of Jesus. My word shall not pass away. You cannot bury my words. You cannot bury what I have intended and what I have seen from beginning to end. Now he goes on in verse 36 and says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. I'll get to that in just a moment. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. In other words, they knew not. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be exactly like it was in the days of Noah. As Jesus put it in verse 36. Let's go back to that for just a moment. The date and the hour is known only. Is known only. By the Father. I'm making a correction on my path. Is known only by the Father. Jesus speaking, obviously, from the perspective of his human knowledge and not from the standpoint of his divine omniscience, which he has right this moment sitting at the right hand of the Father's throne. So I would not doubt one bit that Jesus knows when he's going to come. But when he spoke to his disciples, he said, only the Father knows. Because Jesus had bowed himself humbled himself to become man, though he used his divine omniscience when necessary. Then I want you to take notice of his mention of the days of Noah. The sense of this was to point out that people were enjoying normal pursuits of life. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage not being aware of the imminent danger of judgment that would suddenly come upon them. 
And even after a hundred plus years of preaching righteousness, because the Bible tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't just a boat builder. He preached righteousness. Why? Because he knew what was coming because God told him why he was to build this particular ark. But they went on and on with their lives. Until when? Until the floods and the waters came. Does that sound familiar? It sounds much like we're living today. Although this pandemic has, has kind of upset, you know, the normal pursuits of life. Even though people are still pursuing life and pursuing a, a normalcy in spite of everything that we're being told to do and not to do. But judgment is clear in this pandemic. In the fact that there, th- this is just a, I mean, just a, a wee little introduction to what can become those pestilences and uh, uh, diseases that uh, that Jesus spoke of that were going to be happening in a greater way during the time of the tribulation. Noah preached righteousness. And we as the church are to do the same. Notice in 2 Peter 2 verses 4 and 5, Peter said, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. I mean, he did all of that and still they're reserved unto judgment. They're being, they're being kept for a greater judgment later and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. You see, those who did not heed the message of the preacher of righteousness can say that for them, everything changed from the day the ark was closed by the hand of God. Nothing else may have changed. I mean, they might have had troubles, but nothing really changed. Nothing really changed. Until the ark was closed. And again, when you read about that in the book of Genesis, you realize it could only be closed by God's hand. We cannot deny that everything is changing all around us today. A lot is changing. Some things may not go back to the way that we expect them to. Some may, some some things will. But things may not be the same as they were before this pandemic. But there is one thing that doesn't change. The one thing that doesn't change is the very fact that Jesus Christ is coming very, very soon. And in the midst of all of this, the church of Jesus Christ has been given an assignment. The church of Jesus Christ has been given an assignment and a time limit to accomplish and complete that assignment. You see, Paul said to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And and I refer to this chapter quite a bit because it, it, it constantly reminds me that we will have 
an end of days for ourselves. Paul was in his last days. Paul was writing the last letter that he would ever write to his son in the faith, Timothy. Because he knew what was coming. He knew that he would be in glory before his God and his Christ. Not long after this. So he says to Timothy, I charge thee, therefore before God. If there were only two people on this planet, Paul and Timothy, he is making it clear that what he is saying to him is, I charge you, I challenge you in a sense. But I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Which means be ready at anything, at any time. At every given moment, be ready. Be instant. Have an answer for every man, as we spoke of this past weekend. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come. Oh, and by the way, that reproof and rebuke and exhortation with all longsuffering and doctrine is not just to the unbeliever, but actually to the believer as well. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is not being endured well today. And again, we come back to this issue of, but after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears? Teachers that tell them, oh, listen, you can go ahead and get whatever you want and have whatever you want in this life. It's okay, God wants you to have it. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. So there's truth. And then there's something totally different. That people are listening to or wanting to listen to. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Fables. Wow. Storytelling. Things that aren't really true but maybe make some kind of a a moral point. Nowadays, when you think about stories that are being told, whether in books or in movies or on TV series or whatever, they don't always end with a good moral uh, lesson. Nowadays, it's pretty nihilistic. <laughs> Just whatever happens, happens comes back to the attitude that people have today of, you know, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die. But to Timothy, he says, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. 
make full proof of thy ministry. What a, what a powerful thing Paul is saying to us, as he said to Timothy. He said, watch thou in all things. I don't like seeing the news today, every day, but I have to see it. I have to know what's going on. We need, we need to know what, what's happening. We need to know what's happening in our state, what's happening in our city, you know, the reason why we're doing what we're doing here tonight, the way that we're doing it, is because of this great scare. We're trying to give good witness and testimony to those around us that we care for them. But we have to watch. And Paul says, watch thou in all things. To be circumspect, as he said in another passage, and we talked about that before, but, you know, it's, it's to know what's happening all around you, not, not just in front of you, beside of you, behind you. You have to be vigilant. And then there's the issue of enduring afflictions. We're, in, we're, we're being afflicted today. I think we're being afflicted in many cases uh, in physical things, material things, material ways. They're not heavy-duty afflictions. I mean, so you can't get certain things from the stores. You know, at some point you will. There are greater afflictions today, spiritual afflictions. The worries and the concerns that we have for people who are sick. We still have people who die in our families. Even how we deal with that is affected. Things changed because of this pandemic. But God gave us something to do. He said, do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ at every opportunity. And then he said, make full proof of thy ministry. Make full proof of it. Make full proof that God is in your ministry, that God is in everything that you are supposed to be doing, and that you're doing everything that God has called you to do in your ministry. That's making the full proof of it. It also means that you make full proof to the very end. You don't have any place where you stop making full proof of what God has called you to do. And he tells Timothy, for I'm now ready to be, I'm ready to be offered. I'm, I'm at my end. I want to talk about being at our end here in just a few moments. It's a good thing, okay, so to understand that. But Paul is at the end of his life. And he says, my, the, the time of my departure is at hand. Well, folks, we need to understand something. The time of our departure is at hand. The time of our departure is at hand. It can happen at any moment. That is why Jesus said, keep looking up and lift up your head. For your redemption draweth nigh. It is that close. This is not being said as if just, you know, it's another thing to say. In the last few months, 
toward the end of the last year or going into this new year. We had uh, a lot of uh, homegoing services for people that we know here in the church, family members who have passed away. And any death, any separation by death is always painful. Even though we know when they know the Lord that they will be with the Lord. There's no doubt in our hearts and in our minds. But we as believers in Jesus Christ need, need to know and, and have secure in our hearts the understanding that we have a time of departure. Some of us are real good. <laughs> and right now, travel is not a real big thing, but you know, some of us are real good when we're traveling, you know, that we want to be someplace. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Someplace about two hours early, you know, make sure that everything's packed right and, you know, you're not going to have any problems at the gate if you're going to fly or whatever. That's just me. Most of you know that. Uh, others of us, uh, we don't care about getting there just a little bit right before the door closes. Uh, <laughs> but now, with everything going on, we need to be aware of our time our time of departure. Preparation is of essential importance. In four verses of Scripture, Paul used the word dispensation to describe the management and stewardship of this assignment that I mentioned that God has given to us as believers. The Greek word for dispensation is oikonomia, from which we get our English word economy. It is used as a method of management and the setting of a plan, as well as taking management of that plan. So we have a method of management that God has given us. God has set a plan for us in this particular uh, assignment that he's given to the church. And he wants us to take management of the plan. Now, taking management is another very important uh, spiritual word, or scriptural word, I should say, which is the word stewardship. And again, stewardship is the word uh, oikonomia. And, and, and so we are to take management of the plan as God gives it to us. Now, I want you to consider first, the first mention of the word by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And if anything, this is really the, 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 the key focus of our, of our study tonight is what Paul says about dispensation. What he says about the assignment that God has given to all of us. And what is quite unique is that Paul says, God gave it to me to give to you. That's unique. Consider, if you will, verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 9, he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. God has given me a calling to preach the gospel, and woe is me if I don't do it. But then he says, For if I do this thing willingly, 
Now, by the way, the, 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 this thing there is really important because this thing is the assignment. This thing is not just the preaching of the gospel. This thing is the dispensation. Notice, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, even if it's just something I don't want to do, nonetheless, he says, a dispensation, a stewardship of the gospel is committed unto me. A stewardship of the gospel is committed unto me. And if it is committed unto me, I have to do it. Even if I don't want to. Now, just think about that for a moment, because how many times do we know that God wants us to do something, and then we say, well, I don't want to do it. I'm not ready for it. I don't want, I don't feel I'm ready for it, Lord. You know, you're asking the wrong person. I think maybe you miss, you know, next door. There's a really good Christian next door. I think maybe that's for a message for him. No, 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 no. God's speaking to you. As he spoke to Paul. If I do this willingly, I have a reward. In other words, if I do this faithfully, as God has called me to do it, there's a blessing in this. And there's always a blessing. And God says, I'm going to bless you if you do what I command. So it's a matter of obedience. And so is dispensation. A dispensation is something that has to do with what God gives us to do at the time that he wants us to do it. But if even if it's against my will... A dispensation, a stewardship, an assignment, an arrangement has been given of the gospel and it's committed unto me. There's only one thing I can do and that is what God has called me to do. With that understanding in mind then, the next time we see the word dispensation is in Ephesians chapter 1. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse, I'm going to begin at verse 7 just to give some, some context to what he's saying. But he says in verse 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, of course, speaking of Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. So there is a mystery of his will. He's, he, there's a will that has been a mystery until now, and every mystery is something that he is going to reveal to us and make it quite manifest. That in the dispensation, verse 10, that in the dispensation, the administration of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now think about that for just a moment. Uh, based on what we've, where we've been so far when we've been talking about the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord for his people, the coming of the Lord for his bride. What we have here is Paul giving to the Ephesian church the encouragement of the blessed hope, the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ for his bride to gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. This is the understanding of dispensation in this, in this particular sense. The, 
the administration of the fullness of time. Which, by the way, is a statement that deals with prophecy. It's a statement that deals with the fullness, the fullness of everything that God is going to do up to a certain time. In this case, gathering together in one all things in Christ, which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now, the understanding of dispensations gets even deeper as Paul goes on to say in chapter 3 of Ephesians, because he uses the word again. And let's begin in verse 1, Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word. All right, now, some would say just generally speaking that Paul is saying and using these words because he is the apostle to the Gentiles. So there's nothing wrong with that thought and that understanding. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. But still, God gave it to Paul to give to us, to give to them and to give to us. How that by revelation, he made known unto me, Paul, the mystery. As I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And that's a very important statement for Paul to make because he's not the only one, in, in a sense, to receive the message. But nonetheless, they, they've all received the message that they might proclaim it. So he does not put himself over and above everybody else. And then take note of this continued emphasis in the next verse, in verse 6. He says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister. And notice this. According to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, again he says in verse 8, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. According to the gift of the grace of God given unto me and unto me who am the least of all the saints, less than the least of all the saints, Paul says. But it reflects back on that dispensation of the grace of God, that management of the grace of God, that he makes clear here is the mystery. Now, we saw the word mystery early on when I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul said, I want to show you a mystery. So God gave him these things. And he has been faithful in giving this message to his people. Paul used the word dispensation as a commission. It is also a commission. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 through 29, where Paul says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God 
the, the commission of God which is given to me for you. To fulfill, and, and get this, to fulfill the word of God. To fulfill and complete the word of God. Even, notice this, the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The mystery not only of Christ's return for his bride, but the mystery of the Gentiles receiving the blessing of salvation through Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the hope of glory points to the coming of Jesus Christ his church the hope of glory Paul goes on to say whom we preach warning every man now I find this significant to the days and times in which we're living the preaching must continue we need to warn every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect complete in Christ Jesus Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. The mystery of the church was given to Paul by the Lord, that he would be a faithful steward in administering the fullness of the church beginning to end. Beginning to end from Pentecost to the rapture of the church. You see, to Paul, the Lord committed the dispensation of the church, the management of the church. Who, who wrote the most doctrine in the New Testament? The Apostle Paul. And Paul, by the way, Paul receives this not from men, he received it from Christ himself. Or we're told in the book of Galatians that he spent three years in Arabia alone with God and alone with Christ. And he makes it very clear in his writings that he didn't receive these things from men. He didn't receive doctrines from men. He received the doctrines of the scriptures from the Lord himself. And therefore, he was, the Lord committed the dispensation of the church, the management of the church. And most importantly, think about this, most importantly and prophetically, the truth about the fulfillment of the church. The fulfillment of the church. Remember that the end of something biblically usually means the reaching of the goal or the finish line. Jesus is... the beginning and the end of our faith. As it says in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, is the start and the finish. It's the beginning and the end. And see, we need to understand that the end, end is in the scriptures, 
the goal to be completed. The end, the finish line of our faith is Jesus. We will be complete when we are with him. So always remember that the end of something biblically usually means the reaching of the goal, the reaching of the finish line. The time of my departure, Paul said, is at hand. Any day after he wrote that last word in that letter to Timothy. Not long after that, Paul would enter into glory and into the presence of his Lord and of his Christ. I want to close this study tonight with 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And again, I hope and pray that everything that has been said has, has been for you an encouragement and a comfort. Certainly, Paul said, you know, comfort one another with these words when he talks about the return of Jesus for his church. So I pray that's comfort to you. But I close 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 with these words, wherein you, get, you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be. Now, please look at this in a contemporary way. Look at this as if we're receiving it from the Lord for tonight or tomorrow. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, receiving the goal of your faith, the goal line, the, the finish line of your faith, even the salvation of your souls.